It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Dark Cast Network. The light shines brightest on our indie podcasts. Welcome to Brew Crime, the podcast where we drink brews, talk crime, conspiracies, or whatever catches our attention. This is Mike and my co-host. It's a me, a JT. Woohoo! <laughs> we're back. We are back. Yeah, it's a little unscheduled uh, episode missed, but we had a, a good one to share with JT's voice still in it. <laughs> I um, I'm just waiting for people to be like, "Hey, listen, dude, you, I'm tired of it. Just be, be done." <laughs> Which, quite honestly, we could have gotten anyways, and I just don't pay attention, so... Uh, no, no one said that for sure. <laughs> yet. Yeah, they <laughs> won't. <it> yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, this episode, we're going to talk about folklore urban legends, but before we start, we wanted to mention something. There's definitely some shit going on in the world right now. Yeah, um, I hate it. Fuck Putin. <laughs> Fuck Putin for sure, and I hope uh, suddenly our connection doesn't get lost here. <laughs> yeah, no, tell me about it. Well, I mean, here's here's the thing. I I almost I almost said fuck Russia, but ninety eight percent of Russia isn't all about this. They just can't yeah. talk about it. It, it um, might be a little, it might be a little smaller than that, but yeah, it's going to be a large percentage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, here's here's the thing. We've spent I don't know two years hearing about people having their liberties stomped on and people actually cannot speak their mind in Russia and they're going to jail for 15 years so I'd yeah. like you to take your snowflake opinion on your liberties being stomped and shove yeah. it and then if you want to see people that are actually losing their liberty and their lives mm-hmm. that are lives that's the Ukraine it's it's nuts it's for nothing insane. it's just I... because a world leader decided he wants to Manifest destiny. <laughs> he, he better not go too far west. That's all I'm going to say. He going to hate oh, his God. life. Please, please, please don't go any more west. Jesus Christ. He already hates his life, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. But hey, um, I hear that Ukraine's got a solid Canadian, French-Canadian sniper. Yeah, well, they've got a whole, um, like, there's over 400 Canadian soldiers or ex-soldiers there now, and they've got their own battalion, supposedly. That's including amazing. yes, some some of the most highly regarded snipers in the world. the The one guy that's there was part of the group that has the longest sniper shot ever. We don't know if it's him, he but he was part a of the large, one that has over three kilometer shot. He played a large role in the Whiskey Rebellion. Um, <laughs> he did not <laughs> go back and listen no, to Happy no. Holidays episode one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah yep nope um all you gotta do is uh get a drone out fly over ukraine and if you hear shooting and then sorry and then shooting and then sorry that's where the battalion is for the canadians yeah Yeah. and if you're into beer uh you should take a look around there's a bunch of breweries from the united states there's a couple in canada there's a couple around the world that are now doing collaborations with that Mm -hmm. brewery in the ukraine i forget how to pronounce their name but they're the ones that had to change their production from beer to maltov cocktails yeah. Um, and it sounds like 
as of recording day today, in a day or two, they're going to do um, a collaboration brew on Zoom, a bunch of breweries all over the world. It has to be finished by 8 p.m., I think they said their time, because there's a mandatory 10 o'clock p.m. curfew, yeah. Yeah. because they're under attack. Obviously. But it's amazing they're even going to brew with this thing, and all the profits from this are going to go to humanitarian efforts in Kiev and around Ukraine. So if you see a beer that says, you know, fuck Putin or Putin is an asshole or any of those things, if it looks like it's got a Ukrainian flag on it, it's probably involved with this. Take a quick peek. And if it is, grab it and you're, you know, spending your money on a good cause. Absolutely. There's a website that I follow that does reasonably priced downloads and games and they were giving away like a pack of like 900 games for like 10 bucks or whatever you wanted to donate and it all went to ukraine there's a whole bunch of stuff out there that you can definitely do to help out you know and if you're not sure just check out the humanitarian stuff that's going on over there it's super important there there are orphans there are (laughs) there are women giving birth in this in bunkers there i mean i'm not going to say anything that anybody hasn't heard already i'm sure but you know, if you can do anything at all, please do. So we just want to draw your attention to that, you know, because it is serious and it is going on currently. And, you know, there's a good chunk of people out there that don't have the freedom to do podcasting like we do. And so if we can bring some attention to it and, and raise some awareness, we'd like to. So exactly. here we are. I wish Putin was an urban legend. <laughs> yes, I do, too. <laughs> Pravda is the uh, brewery. But there's Russian River in California is involved. I know Torchlight Brewing here in British Columbia is involved. Flounder Brewing, I'm not sure where that is, is involved. You know, it's really funny, the name Flounder Brewing, because yeah. truly you don't want your beer to be flat. But here we are. No. And there's, there's a brewery in Arlington, Texas that's brewing one. Oh. So they're, they're, they're all over. Crossroads Anchors Brewing, I don't know where that is, but yeah, breweries all over the place. So if you see something, grab it. I salute the breweries. <laughs> yes. All right, let's get into the folklore. Oh, yes, please. It's a little different than normal, but hey, we're a little different than normal. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to start out today. So this is actually a local folklore or, you know, whatever. So the title is Truth or fiction? This is the story of Slumax Goldmine. To pair with that, I've got a beer from Barkerville Brewing Co. And for people that don't know, Barkerville is a ghost town. It was a gold rush town back in the day. Now it's just like a one of those museums where they have actors and stuff. That's uh, fair. But about it, I think it's about an hour drive from there. There's a town or city called Quinell, and that's where Barkerville Brewing is located. All their beers have to do with like gold mining and gold panning. And this one's high stakes Imperial IPA. So go big or go home. Kind of thought that fit in a little bit with gold mine. I do like that a lot. And I also, I like the concept of ghost towns, you know? Yeah. That's so cool. This one is definitely a super, super hazy, kind of a orange color. Bit of an off-white head. Interestingly, it smells a little more like an English IPA. It's got a little more malty backbone. It's still got stone fruit on the nose, but it's not usually what I expect from like a hazy IPA. Did I say it is 8% alcohol on the flavor. It's got some bitterness and pith, definitely stone fruit, a little bit of tropical. And then it's got a lot of notes of malt that I'm not used to these days. It's nice though. It's a bit of an old world hazy IPA. You all, I know that this is an audio format, but you haven't lived until you've seen Mike describe a beer. Uh, at some point we need to just record that very brief moment and pop it up on like instagram because yeah. there is no moment like a, a mike reviewing a beer moment well if you want to see you review beers just check out my other show pacific beer chat That's all we do <laughs> is talk about beer that's <laughs> fair all right let's get into it now after i have one more sip of beer <laughs> loosen the old lips yes Slumac was an indigenous man who died an elderly man on January 16th, 1891. I cannot find an exact date, but on September 9th, 1890, he was estimated to be 60 years old, meaning he would be born around 1830. A little while ago. Just a little bit. (laughs) From what I can find, he was born in what was then known as 
Snignimo, I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not sure. But that is now the city of Nanaimo on Vancouver Island to a father that was of Katsi First Nation descent. Mm-hmm. So Katsi First Nations are found in the Fraser Valley with one of their reserves at the base of Pitt Lake. That'll come in to play later. <laughs> okay. Currently, they seem to have five reserves, with many being in Maple Ridge, as well as one on the shore of Barson Island, and one I mentioned at Pitt Lake. Slumac had a reputation as a scary guy, and so did his brother. Slumac was said to have murdered many people in the Nanaimo area, and had the reputation of a desperado. So so when you say scary, you mean fucking frightening. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus. He's like the Bonnie and Clyde. Well, he's like the Clyde yeah, the of Clyde. the North. Well, we consider this the South. It's like the Clyde southern, of the, southern the Canada. South North. <laughs> Bloody Americans. Bloody Americans. He would be caught killing an indigenous man and realize he would have to flee. He seemed to be in his canoe at the time, and he would be shot twice and would play dead in the canoe. <laughs> Uh, it's pretty easy to play dead when you're shot twice. I can't, yeah. I can't imagine your getaway car being a canoe. 1800s. It's true. Getaway canoe. I like yep. it. Yep. Remember, no one else has a car, so... <laughs> they never expected the Spanish Inquisition. They never expected the getaway canoe. Yeah, that's true. Uh, there would be an opening, and he would dive out of the boat and start swimming like mad. Of course, the article I read in 1926 had many racist comparisons to animals in the river, but I'm not going to go there. Wrong. Yeah. He would make, like I said, that was written in, that was coming from a newspaper article in 1926, so big surprise, right? Yes. Yeah, I'm guessing they didn't compare him to the Loch Ness Monster. No. He would make his way to his brother's lodge, or house. The two would talk and in the end decide it was a good idea to escape from Vancouver Island, where they were living. They would make the long voyage over to the mainland, and I have to assume this was a real chore in the late 1800s, as even today, it is a long ferry voyage from Nanaimo to West Vancouver. According to VancouverIsland.com, the distance the ferry travels is 30 nautical miles, or just over 55 kilometers, and it takes an hour and 40 minutes to travel by ferry. They were on the water for a long time. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, they, it could have been in a canoe. They could have been in a bigger ship, but still, right? Yeah, I mean. It's not easy. You don't want your arms to get tired halfway through. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know anything about that waterway, but I'm guessing it moves. Yes, quite well, yes. It's uh, straight of Georgia. or if There's another name for it now, and yeah, it, it moves. Yeah. <laughs> or I think it's also called the Salish Sea now. Oh, that's clever. Yes, for the Coast Salish First Nations. Once on the mainland, travel was not easy in the late 1800s, as the highway system was not built yet. Mm. On today's roads, the distance to Pitt Lake is 71 kilometers, and that includes two bridges that did not exist at the time. (laughs) Jeez. I hope you can climb. Yeah, I, I'm sure there might have been bridges, but the bridges that are there now were not there then. Nope. No guarantee that the men landed in West Vancouver, but as it's the location of the ferry today, we will use that. Up until 1925, you had to take a ferry from West Vancouver or North Vancouver over what up until more recently was named the Indian Arm, which is a big inlet. It is now known as, I think, Sliwat. I think that's how you pronounce it officially. But I do not hear that name spoken very often, so I don't actually know when it was changed even. But they're definitely changing a lot of the names that are not the greatest. Suffice to say that this was not an easy trip, and it would take a long time. I'm just thinking it's kind of like their version of the Oregon Trail at this point. (laughs) Yeah, no doubt, right? (laughs) You've got dysentery. <laughs> dysentery, typhoid, you broke a leg, yeah. snake bite, you know. Exactly. <laughs> Once set up in the slough at Pitt Lake, he would set up a cabin. He would spend a lot of time in the bush, being gone for long stretches of time. 
there were rumors that he would end up coming out of the bush and heading to the city of New Westminster, where he would sell gold nuggets and spend the money on alcohol and the likes. <laughs> this guy, this guy, this guy. <laughs> yeah. Now, there is debate if he ever had any gold at all, but people would follow him back to the Pit Lake area, and he was not happy about it. You have to remember that at the time, the west of North America was gold crazy at this point, with gold rushes happening in multiple places in British Columbia alone. And they were happening all up and down the coast. Mm -hmm. Slumac would have no part of people following him into the bush, though. Luckily for him, he was slippery when he was out in the thick forest of Pit Lake. Unfortunately, though, he would get into an altercation with a half-indigenous man named Louis B., who he seemed to have a history with. Sounds like uh, Louis was a bit of a bit of a bully when he was drinking, hmm. which is maybe not a great thing to do when you've got a guy that likes to cause some trouble and has murdered people. Yeah, yeah, let's not combine them. I don't like it. Yeah. Louis would try to ask him what he was shooting as he had been holding a double barrel shotgun. Unfortunately for Louis, it seems the answer was him as he would bring <laughs> up his gun and shoot him at very close range, killing him. It's not too soon to laugh at that. That was well delivered, my friend. <laughs> yes, this was well over 100 years ago. You don't ask an asshole what he's shooting when he's holding yeah. a double barrel shotgun. Let it be known. Let yeah. that be a lesson to you children. <laughs> Walk away. Yes, to all the children listening today, don't ask a man with a double barrel shotgun what he's shooting. And if you're a child listening to this, ask your parents what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, the man wasn't shooting moose, okay? No. There had been an indigenous man that witnessed the murder, and they fled for their life, telling anyone that would listen about the murder. That makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Can't just call 911 back then. What's the number for 911? 119. <laughs> Is it 911 in Canada? Yes, yeah. Ah, oh, solid. He would then take his body and put it in a canoe and hide the body in the waters of Pit Lake. As many yeah. a serial killer have. Yeah. An Indian agent, which was, you know, a police for indigenous people back then. An Indian agent would catch wind of the fact that he took the body and would get to the reserve to search for Louis B.'s body. The body would be found and the agent would uh, be made aware. Once the body was in New Westminster, there would be a coroner's inquest. And this is a quote from the Daily Columbian on September 11th, 1890. Hit me. Yeah. And September 11th. Aww. Conspiracy. <laughs> Yes, that's exactly why they picked it. Yeah, hit the twin canoes. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that, but that was well said. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Dr. Walker performed the post-mortem examination and found the bone of the upper arm, or upper left arm, to have been shattered by the passage of a ball, which had entered the side of the deceased, fracturing the fifth rib, penetrating the right side of the heart, and tore the lungs. Yeah, he was done. Yeah, the bullet was found <laughs> embedded in the right lung. Death, in the doctor's opinion, must have been instantaneous. Um, I love doctors that state the obvious. Yes, well, that's kind of his job at this point. <laughs> that's true. Hey, um, it's my impression that he's dead. Yes. Well It'd be weird. It would have been really weird if you used the horn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this would send Indian agent Constable Anderson on the hunt for Slumac. He would have run-ins with him at Pit Lake with gunshots being exchanged. Holy crap. Yeah, Slumac didn't mess around, right? Nope. In the end, Slumac would be driven out of the woods due to starvation, and he would be arrested. He would be found guilty of murder... And at the time, the only sentence for murder was death. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> there was no other options. Nope. That's it. You dead. If yeah. You killed. Yes. And of course, he's indigenous too, so. Yeah. Yeah. That unfortunately made it an easier decision. Yeah. So, and I mean, 
<laughs> there was no doubt. He would be hanged on January 16th, 1891. It is rumored, though, that just before he was hanged, he muttered the following quote. <laughs> Nika Memlus, mine Memlus, which loosely translates from the Chinook language, when I die, the mine dies. So rumored that he said that. When I die, the, the mine, mine dies. dies. No, oh, mine. The mine. Oh, see, that makes more sense now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting. Wow, that's yeah. that's that's actually kind of that's eh, foreboding. Who knows if he actually said it, but that's what it's rumored. I, I'm not gonna say he didn't. <laughs> yeah. So in 1972, Slumac's grandniece Amanda Charnley was asked about his gold, and she heard from her father that yes, he had found gold, but quote from a Maple Ridge news article, what he found there was a far cry from the untold riches. The stories talk about. Miss Charnley remembered her father telling her that Slumac did not find more than $27 worth of gold in his whole life. <laughs> yeah. Now, in Slumac's life, there was no mention of wealth or, and gold, but that didn't stop rumors that later turned into legend. Because of course, right? Well, I mean, it's... You know, it's it's not a great story if he only found twenty something bucks of gold. Yes, he had to have found a bunch and hidden it, and that's kind of how it has to happen. Yeah. So there was a California prospector, W. Jackson, <laughs> that headed up to Pitt Lake Valley searching for gold in 1901. There's gold in them hills. Yeah. So when he came out of the bush after the search for gold in the Pitt Lake Valley. He was looking close to death uh, when he arrived back in New Westminster. So it didn't go well. It's rugged as fuck up there. I've done some hiking up in some areas that you have to yeah. canoe or kayak or canoe into. <laughs> yeah. You got a canoe. He would end up getting back to California and would send a letter to a man named Shotwell that said, quote, bedrock that is yellow with gold and the discovery of nuggets, some as big as walnuts and some containing quartz. Jackson noted that the nuggets could be found in the millions, far too many to be able to carry back. The miner claimed to have taken as much as he could and buried the rest under a large tent-shaped rock. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> the letter ended with a vague description of the gold's location, where Jackson instructed Shotwell to go 20 miles north of the lake and look for a stream full of white water that has no obvious entrance or exit. Um, you know, I have a really bad taste in my mouth from Oak Island, and this is what I'm feeling is about to happen. I feel like these guys are going to give up and move over this way. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, this, mm, keep going, please. <laughs> we do not know if Shotwell ever came up to British Columbia to find the gold, but he would end up selling the letter to a Seattle, Washington businessman, and as such, the legend was born. He <sighs> wait. He sold a letter. He sold the letter from the California prospector to a Washington businessman. While Slumac was killed in 1891, no talk of his gold started until a Washington prospector, Wilbur Armstrong, was interviewed about heading back up to Pit Lake in 1915. All these guys literally have prospector names. Yeah, they it's do, amazing yeah. to me. It's like you have to have these names in order to be a prospector. Like you can't yeah. just be James Thomas. You have to be Wilbur Armstrong. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. So this is a quote from Slumac.ca. Preparing for his tenth and last search for Pit Lake gold, identified the Indian who first discovered the gold as Slumac, hanged in the jail yard at New Westminster in 1891. Some prospectors at the time made money guiding gold hunter parties into the rugged Pit Lake country, and a good story was needed to attract and convince investors and customers. Armstrong and his colleagues honed the old stories to perfection, creating the basis for all later tales. So the story would finally jump back over the border into Canada, where it would be talked about in 1926, where, quote, the story describes Slumac as a charming, 
mass murderer who, when he died, took with him the secret of a great gold mine up in the wild pit country. <laughs> you could have just stopped the charming mass murderer. <laughs> You know, here's the thing. Business is business is business is business. And that's what's going to happen if there's even remotely a possible buck to be made. Or yeah. loony, as the case might be. So, yeah. <clears throat> Racism would change the story up with a new spelling of his name saying he was a half-indigenous man from Manitoba and was a violent character that murdered people and drowned their wives all while mining gold. Yes. Dude, I can't. The story just goes further and further. <laughs> yeah. He was said to throw gold the size of popcorn around like it was nothing. Oh, Orville Redenbacher. I get yeah. it. That's another prospector, I'm sure. It sure is. He was prospecting those, uh, those kernels. Yeah. But all these <laughs> stories would start a gold rush up the Pit Lake Valley. Every summer, like clockwork in the 1930s, men would head up the valley and hunt for Sumax gold. Of course, this is a very rugged area, even today, and many of these men never made it home. This is what happens when men are trying to overcompensate. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> a man named Robert Volcanic Brown had been a well-respected <laughs> prospector that would find... Many mines in the Kootenai region in the southeastern corner of British Columbia. Yes. <laughs> tell me, please, please tell me you're gonna you're gonna explain how he got his name. I don't think I did. I think it was uh, forget why it was a, a nickname that he got. I can't Volcanic remember. <laughs> I did read about it, but I didn't add it. <laughs> Is he related to Bad Bad Leroy? Uh, maybe. <laughs> That's actually his real middle name, right? No. <laughs> Uh, keep drinking. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> he caught wind of the Pit Lake gold and made his way to the area in the late 1920s. He would attempt the trek multiple times, but on his final attempt in 1931, he would not arrive back from his trek by his expected time. Oh, I imagine. Yeah. A search party would be sent out to the area and they would find his last camp location on an ice field close to the lake. All of his possessions were there, including a jar with 11 ounces of raw gold. So you'd have to assume you would never leave your entire camp and the gold without intending to be right back, but he was never seen again. Joke's on all of us. He brought the gold with him. Did he find Slumex? It was his baby. He brought the gold with him. It was his Maybe. good luck charm. So did he find Slumex gold? Could he have been cursed to death? Of course not, but still, it helps to build a legend. <laughs> I mean, he he was on an ice field, and we're talking in, like, 1920s. He probably didn't have much in the way of, you know, crampons or ice axes and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. And even if he did, they're probably not as good as they are now. He probably fell into a crevasse and died. That's probably what happened. It's, you know, in reality, it's not funny, but the way that it's said... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I mean, oh, he just fell in a crack and died. Yeah. He, 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 fell, he fell in God's butt crack. <laughs> yep. <laughs> in the late 1970s, a man named Stu Brown claimed to have found a stream near Pit Lake that was ankle deep in gold nuggets, but of course, he could never find it again. <laughs> it's not that simple. Okay, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hunting for the gold is still a pastime today, but things have changed and the riches, even if found, will have to stay where they are. Unfortunately for gold miners today, most of this area that is thought to house the gold mine is part of Pineconeburg Provincial Park and Golden Ears Provincial Park, and mining and panning for gold is illegal. If they catch you. <laughs> As BC Parks likes to say, take only photos, leave only footprints. And that's the end of Slumax Gold. Listen, what assholes leave footprints? <laughs> Be better, people. Be true, better. true. <laughs> I respect the phrase. Yeah. No, yeah, it's it's an important one. But if I find the gold, I'm going to take it across the border and keep it to myself where I found it. 
Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I would just say I found them somewhere else. <laughs> right. That's... I found it in my backyard. <laughs> Why are your pants falling off? My belt's really tight, but it... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I, I, I probably, you know what? <laughs> Can you imagine if, like, if mining for gold happened in the 90s, where literally it'd be prospectors, but they're, they're, the, the best thing that they could bring with them on their trip are a pair of Jinko jeans. <laughs> With the massive pockets. <laughs> uh, well, I wouldn't be going without cargo pockets, so hey. It's true. It's mm-hmm, true. Mm-hmm. All the dads in the world are just like, look at these cargo shorts. I'm ready. I'm ready. Yes. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All oh. right. Well, that's that's my case. That's so good. It was so good. I like the history, my friend. Yeah. That's the most important part of it, because otherwise it's too short. But yeah, <laughs> there was there was more talk of other prospectors that had gone up there, and talk of a, a group that goes up every year in a helicopter looking for areas that could be it. Mm. But wow, they, they get repetitive. Other than you know, instead of hiking in, they flew in. <laughs> Same stuff though. <laughs> they flew in. They didn't find anything. They went back. Yes. The end. <laughs> Any History Channel special. That's what that is. <laughs> Jeez, Maybe next aliens. time we'll find, we'll find Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. He's the one who took the gold. Yes, yes. What course. an asshole. He doesn't even need it. Yeah, no, it's the Sasquatch, definitely. He's up there with his big strides and big swinging arms taking all the gold. <laughs> you know, it'd be really weird if he had big strides and small swinging arms. That's true, that's true. He'd be a Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> <laughs> I have a big head and very tiny arms. Yes. All right. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, mine doesn't have as much history per se, but it did happen further back in the past. This is indeed... Or did it. <laughs> yeah, right. Could be happening now. Um, my urban legend is the Bunny Man Bridge. Uh, and it's fairly local hop. to me, actually. But before I get into it... Yeah, right. Hop, 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 hop. hop. <laughs> um, but it's fairly local to me. And before I get into that, I kind of want to talk about my beer, which I drank during Mike's story, and I moved on to another beer. But that's okay. That doesn't matter. One of my favorite beers right now is Wild Little Thing by Sierra Nevada. And it's a slightly sour ale. It's 5.5% alcohol. And it's got, you know, I almost said it's got malt. Well, duh. (laughs) It's got two rolled pale oats and wheat, cascade hops, ale yeast, and uh, it's got guava hibiscus and strawberry natural flavors or flavors in general. It's really good. Um, I like it because, you know, it doesn't make you pucker, but it only half makes you contemplate your life choices. But I like that in a beer. So, you know, here we are. Everybody by now knows that I can't describe beer, so we're just going to leave it at that. (laughs) He's got to study. That's all. He's got to study. I know. All right. So sweet dreams are not made of these. And anyone who says otherwise, I disagree. Don't visit the bridge within the trees. The bunny man is looking for someone. That was awesome. Just like my budding parody career, this story is an absolute nightmare. And and one that, while it may have gotten out of control, there is some credence to it. While teenagers and storytellers embellish, there was some possible truth to the initial report. And we will talk about that. So this happens in Fairfax County. And Fairfax County, Virginia, which is probably about an hour and a half from me, north, was a sleepy little town of 455,000 in the 1970s. I mean, it's sleepy compared to what it is now, which is well over 1.15 million, right? Oh, yeah, that's a huge change. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, might I add, there's not enough infrastructure to support that. The traffic is miserable. And if this was the population back in the 1970s, I would say that this was definitely a made-up story created by a really lonely and bored human being in their car while on the highway in standstill traffic for hours. <laughs> I guess it's to be expected, as it's just to the west of Washington, D.C., but still, it's Les Miserables. Yeah. That's for, you know, all the Toronto folks listening. <laughs> That's the only French I know. Okay. so <laughs> And Toronto doesn't speak French, so hey. Oh. oh you Montreal? French? Montreal. That's what I meant. Quebec you know, City? The, the actual <laughs> French names. Yes. <laughs> Those. The ones from Quebec. <laughs> How long do I have to be directly associated with Mike to actually understand the geography of Canada? <laughs> it's a great question. Decades. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Um, Don't worry, because I have the same problem with the States for the long, most part. <laughs> That's fine. I accept that. It's weird here. Um, <laughs> so I used to have to drive up to Fairfax to my former jobs administration offices to teach classes. And if I didn't leave at 5 a.m., I wasn't getting there on time. And I Ooh. was going to be caught in serious traffic. So no matter when I left in the afternoon, evening, I was going to be caught in it as well. But here's the crazy thing is that the Bunny Man Bridge is actually like five minutes away from where I used to teach. Oh, wow. I had no idea. So... All I can say, truly, in terms of traffic up there, is it's a good thing I'm into podcasts and audiobooks, because what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Uh, for everybody out there, I hope that you don't have laporophobia, because this story is not for you at all. What and, is laporophobia? Uh, let, well, let, oh, okay. I'm okay. glad you asked. <laughs> it's the fear of rabbits. Oh, it's uncommon. But look at its sharp teeth! <laughs> it's got three pointy teeth! Uh, don't, don't think I didn't try to implement Monty Python jokes into this. <laughs> I tried to... It was too obvious people would assume that of me. I tried not to do it. Okay. Oh. So that fear is uncommon, but it is still real. And it's usually obtained by people who are young, especially if they were attacked by a rabbit. But <laughs> here's the thing, right? Before we go and give rabbits a bad name... They rarely attack others in a way that causes an immense amount of damage. Yeah. Um, people who <laughs> or have any this... damage. Right, right. <laughs> people who find people who have this phobia, they find rabbits unsettling. Uh, all I can say is that you should just be glad you don't have pascophobia, which is the fear of Easter. I don't have a fear of Easter. I'm not a big <laughs> fan of Easter. <laughs> I was but... gonna say Mike. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the what's the fear of uh, Valentine's Day? Because that one's just a scary holiday. <laughs> Um, it's, um, it's, Is there actually, uh, there's gotta be one. Mass conglomeration phobia. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Hallmark. Hallmark phobia. <laughs> <laughs> it's really scary for you when both our brains go in the same place. Yes, yes. Uh, so, what is the legend of the Bunny Man Bridge? I hear you screaming from the rooftops that you want me to explain this. Tell me! Well... I mean, this is a podcast, so I can't hear you, so I'm just going to assume you're screaming from the roof. Yes, yes. So, on Colchester Road, below a parallel set of train tracks, the Bunny Man Bridge lay. Cracked paint covers what used to be, what I can only assume was beautiful brick. The bridge looks to be no more than 25 to 50 meters long, but it's just long enough that there is a dark, shadowy section right in the middle of it. And this isn't your squared-off tunnel, either. It's arced at the top. It looks to be stone all the way around, and it also looks to be no more than 10 to 12 feet tall, which is my best guess, considering I have but a photo to go off of. Yes. And it's only one lane. Dun, Another, dun, dun. I know. <laughs> Another part that's disconcerting is that it's located within a densely forested area 13 minutes to the south of Fairfax, Virginia. In fact... That section of woods might be the only larger section of woods in northern Virginia due to the overpopulation and overdevelopment <laughs> of the area. Oh, wow. So, so the history of the Bunny Man Bridge, the story of this tale goes back way further than I had originally thought. I figured it was a lot like the 1970s, you know, boo kind of story. Something to frighten the person or persons, I don't judge, you take yeah. out there to cuddle up close to and you know what. I'm just going to stop there. We're not going to go any further. <laughs> we all know what you dirty people do in the back of cars. Yes. And I did. Who who did? Um, whatever. Okay. <laughs> you young children. <laughs> <laughs> you young whippersnappers. I didn't have a back seat. Okay. Yes. 
<laughs> we, we had, had a bench have, seat. <laughs> we had to have sex on the bench seat. And we liked it. <laughs> Jesus. All right. So in 1903 in Clifton, Virginia, there was an asylum buried in the woods. Just, you know, toss them our way and we'll keep them all day sort of treatment, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So around the Civil War period, folks started moving to that area and the population grew to around 300. <laughs> Dems big numbers. Big city. Yeah. So those folks were actually none too happy about the asylum being there and they thought it needed to move. And they And it was their first, right? Right. They moved in, the asylum needed to move out. It's like people here there there's this development on Burke Mountain and they built this new subdivision up on the mountain. People moved in and then started complaining about the gun club that's been there for decades. <laughs> it's like maybe do some research. <laughs> I mean, oh, hey, the gun club's kind of annoying because done some hikes up in that area. It sound like World War Three, but still, it's been there for a long time. <laughs> too soon, Mike. Too, too, too soon. Oh, jeez. All right. So yeah, we'll they moved in, and then the asylum needed to move out. And like any decent folk, they started a petition. Although it doesn't say it, I bet nearly all the people signed it. Yeah. The yeah. Did they passed. have a trucker convoy? <laughs> 1903. It was a horse-drawn carriage. Convoy. Convoy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not nearly as impressive, although this isn't, that's not nearly impressive either. No, it's, so. it's still pathetic, yeah. <laughs> it's a bunch of lazy people just sitting in their trucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't want to drive today. <laughs> <laughs> so the petition passed and they built a new asylum called Lorton Prison, which is about 21 miles southeast of the bridge. A year later, 1904, and there was a bus taking prisoners to Lorton. The drive wasn't that far, but the driver swerved to avoid something, and the bus tipped, and boom, bad days ahead. Uh, this, by the way, is pretty much one of the opening scenes to a Halloween Michael Myers movie. So, Sounds so like many, it, yeah. Right. Many were hurt, but like caged animals, they found a way to escape anyways. They ran right on into the woods. And this was at night, but, you know, the next morning the police began rounding them all up. It took about four months for them to get everybody. Well, everyone but two. So I wonder what that looked like, really. You know, just like, Bill, just just mark a present. Nobody cares, and no one will be the wiser. Bill. Yeah. No, no, Bill, don't mark them absent. We're going to have to go back in the woods again. (sighs) Two guys. Two guys. Marcus Walster and Douglas (laughs) Griffin. They were still at large. And Bill was a dick because he marked them absent in the end. (laughs) Did that happen? I don't know. I wasn't there. But in my head, yeah. that's what happened, and I'm going to stick to it. And um, the two men got lonely and started having sex with bunnies, and that's how the bunny men became. <laughs> my next line's going to be really weird now. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, according to stories and hearsay, which is pretty much all we have in the early 1900s, yeah. the police found dead rabbits half-eaten and dismembered along their search. Well, you know... <laughs> Use him and lose him, sister. (laughs) (laughs) So eventually they found Marcus dead by the Fairfax Station Bridge, a.k.a. the Bunny Man Bridge. Douglas murdered Marcus, and he became the Bunny Man. They didn't really care how he died. They just gathered him, and they were glad that Bill would have one less out there for his count. Bill was an asshole. Yes. (laughs) Bill's not real. (laughs) Let me just put that disclaimer out there. Bill's not real. I was in a weird mood when I wrote this. So, this story goes on and on to include high school students and Halloween. It's written like a real horror movie. But this is the version signed by Timothy C. Forbes from Virginia. So, remember when I just told you all that stuff about all those things? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, none of it probably happened. Of course not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I will say this: I didn't make that up. That is the story, right? But in an article called "The Bunny Man Unmasked: The Real Life Origins of an Urban Legend," historian archivist uh, Brian Conley took a good hard look at this kind of alongside the evidence, and he says, "quote Little effort was required to show that all of the specifics given in the Forbes version are false." And uh, this, I can only imagine, is the closest a historian and archivist will come to a mic drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's about it. So, in either case, there was never an asylum in Fairfax County, and Lorton Prison didn't show up until 1910. 
And in addition, mm. it was part of the District of Columbia correction system and not Virginia's. Neither of the inmates from above appear in any of the records, which we know Bill took awesome count. So, um, yeah. And in the last story, they say that everything can be checked in the Clifton Town Library, but there's never been a Clifton Town Library. <laughs> so, lies and deceit. I call lies and deceit and fake news. Yes. Okay. And and. <laughs> Sorry, I had Taco Bell. <laughs> it's the only place you can get gas for a buck seventy-five anymore. <laughs> it's a terrible overused joke by now. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. So here's the thing about urban legends and tales. They have to come from somewhere. There is some truth in all fiction. Conley mentions that a good chunk of this legend deals with murder, and guess what? Despite it being a farm town, there were records that could be pulled. He pulled nope. every murder from the local press between the years 1872 and 1973. He found 550 murders. That's 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 like nothing today. Um, that's one year in Chicago. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You're not wrong. So at that point, he kind of took away your, now these are his words, quote, run-of-the-mill murders. He focused on multi-murders and those that involved children, and this took him down to three. From over 500 to 3. He investigated these murders and listed out they were Francis and June Holliber, February 1949, Minnie, Loretta, and Catherine Ridgway, March 1927, and Eva Roy, August 1918. And I would go through each of the murders, but Conley determined that none of these really exhibited anything remotely close to what the Bunny Man was. And this is something that Conley did extensive research on to figure out where the sensationalism stopped and the truth started. And he looked for eight years, and he found a lead. Mm. Can I just make one correction? Last year, there was 797 homicides in Chicago, so less than a year in Chicago. <laughs> oh, Jesus. God. Yeah. God. From 1872 to 100 years. <laughs> Our laws were good. So in 73, 1973 that is, the University of Maryland student Patricia Johnson wrote a paper about this. She, uh, she interviewed 33 students from Prince George County, Maryland. They were, the, they were between the ages of 15 to 18, because that's about the time that they learned about this. It was a tale that met urban belief qualifications, and mm. the qualifications are that it takes place in an urban setting, it existed prior to her project, and it appeared in print as truth. And she got, out of the 33 students, 54 variations of the story. <laughs> so in short, she found out that the Bunny Man didn't exist, right? Yeah. So Conley ended up going further and looking more into actual specific articles. And he did find an article that was titled Man in Bunny Suit Sought in Fairfax. And in this, they talked about somebody who was looking for someone who likes to wear a white bunny rabbit costume and throw hatchets through car windows. That's a scary furry. <laughs> <laughs> I would like us not to attribute <laughs> one to the other. <laughs> oh, hey, there's there's neo-Nazi furries. So, hey. Oh, have you not fallen down that rabbit hole? Ha, <laughs> ah, well said. Rabbit hole. I can't. <laughs> I can't, imagine, I, I can't imagine Bugs Bunny with an Adolf Hitler mustache. I just... I refuse After this, to we're going to go down that rabbit hole, and we'll, I'll show you a link. Jesus. <laughs> right before we cover David Icke. This is brilliant. Yes. <laughs> so, this story comes from basically a report that was made to police by an Air Force cadet and his fiancée. They were sitting in a car when a man dressed in a white suit with long bunny ears ran from the bushes and shouted that they were on private property. Then, he threw a wooden-handled hatchet through the front car window, and he skipped off into the night. <laughs> my, question, my question is, really, why would somebody make that up? I mean, well, you know, we kind of understand that, but what I'm doing is taking the context of an Air Force cadet who has a lot to lose by filing a false report, right? Yeah. But here's, here's the other thing. Police actually had the hatchet. So it happened. Something happened. Wow. <clears throat> but they had no other clues. And then in I weeks, I'd like to say, though, he didn't skip, probably. He would hop. <laughs> hop, skip, and a jump. It's the bunny suit. <laughs> <laughs> 
So another article two weeks later was published called The Rabbit Reappears. And uh, a furry rabbit suit with two long ears appeared on Guinea Road. Guinea Road was the same place as where the Air Force cadet and his fiancée encountered this person. And the rabbit was wielding an axe and he was chopping at a roof support on a new house. There was a private security guard that saw the rabbit standing on the front porch of the new house. And he said, quote, I started talking to him and that's when he started chopping. And the rabbit said, quote, all you people trespass around here. If you don't get out of here, I'm going to bust you in the head. So all I can wow. think of is the like little bunny foo-foo. <laughs> little Bopping. bunny foo-foo. Yeah. Jumping through the forest. Big scooping up the field of mice and bopping them on the head. Yeah. Um, the private Need a bopping guard. sound effect. <laughs> That's all I got. Um, <clears throat> so the private security guard was able to say that the man was about five foot eight inches and six, 160 pounds and that he was in his early twenties. Uh, so to me, this is wild. Like this is wild and crazy kids. Um, yeah. So one of the students who Patricia Johnson did interview had a solid recollection of something like this. Some things came to light that made it worthy of a closer look. That student identified the television news as her information, which happened. Uh, she related the hatchet thrown into the occupied car. She talked about the teenage couple, the um, accusation of trespassing, police involvement, that it went on for a couple weeks and it stopped uh, within a six-month time frame. So there was a lot there that could have been legit in terms of what she heard. The police department has no official record of, of the event. And they do have an investigation on the vandalism that I mentioned. Yeah. Uh, it confirms... Basically, that the police responded to a, quote, subject dressed as a rabbit with an axe on Guinea Road. <laughs> I can't imagine getting that call. <laughs> no. <laughs> Earl, is this real? Ugh, just fire up the <laughs> fire up the siren. Fire up the siren. Get your shotguns ready. The old crank siren. <laughs> the Canucks have I... a wind-up siren for the start of the game. <laughs> right. So, like... This guy had uh, something about trespassing. I, I don't know what, but that that kind of that was a theme that played through. Uh, nothing was I've really never found. heard of an American worried about trespassing before. <laughs> Get off my property! <laughs> bang bang. <laughs> I was going to say unless it means you can shoot them. Yeah, right. <laughs> so nothing was really found. Um, eventually, the officer wrote on March fourteenth, nineteen seventy one. "Quote: After a very extensive investigation into this and all other cases of the same nature, it is still unsubstantiated as to whether or not there really is a white rabbit." <sighs> <sighs> I can guarantee you, there's at least one white rabbit out in those forests. <laughs> I think they should have sicked Alice on the rabbit because I think yes. she would have found him. So, who was the bunny man? We surely do not know. What Pennywise. Now? Right, right. <laughs> Listen, let's start that. I'm cool with that. Um, so what do we know? The man had a penchant for the dramatic. He hated trespassers and dumpers, and he was disturbed about the development going on in the area, which is true. There, was, The development in 1970 was dramatic in that area. Fairfax was yeah. basically farming up until that point, and federal employment was big at that point, and people needed a place to live. Yeah. So that happened. So overall, that's Bunny Man Bridge, and it's a weird urban legend. But here's a yeah. cool fact. Some people say that Bunny Man Bridge may have provided inspiration for the Bunny Man character Frank in the 2001 movie Donnie Darko. Oh. The movie was directed by Richard Kelly, who grew up in Virginia. So it is possible that he might have heard the story. So that's quite interesting. Yeah. So, really, you know, just watch out for a man who likes to dress up in mascot costumes and wield an axe. I don't wield an axe, so I'm safe. <laughs> I just like to dress up in costumes. Yeah. Stop dumping on my costumes. lawn! <laughs> um, so, what's the moral of the story? Ain't no river wide enough. Ain't no valley no low enough. Ain't no bridge creepy enough to make me believe in the bunny. <laughs> nice. There's my shitty parody number two. I love it. <laughs> That's Bunny Man Bridge, y'all. Um, awesome. Oh, also, Canada in 2020 had, the whole of Canada had 743 homicides in 2020. 
You know, it's Same funny. As Chicago. <laughs> it's like the only thing that's really different are th- the gun laws. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Imagine mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the population everybody... of Chicago is a lot lower than Canada. <laughs> yeah. I want everybody to know that Mike has sent me the Third Reich. <laughs> it's which real. Is literally a furry, which I don't kink shame, that's fine. But this is a furry dressed up in Nazi regalia. Yeah. And I'm quite disturbed. And you should As be. As you should too. be. <laughs> all right. Well, let's run this out. So thanks for tuning in to Brew Crime. You can find us on all social media platforms at Brew Crime. We have a Facebook group at Brew Crime Group. If you'd like to support the show, head to patreon.com slash brewcrime now. Money goes towards upgrading equipment and making the show that much better. You get one bonus episode a month, as well as early ad-free access to our episodes. So shout out to our Patreon supporters. True Crime Nana, 3 Bizim Podcast, Amber, and the Faves of Our Lives. Cheers. Bye. All cases in Brew Crime are written by Mike and JT, or a writer we credit on the episode, and sources are put into our show notes for each episode. We always want to give credit to the people that research the cases we talk about. Check out our store at tpublic.com slash stores slash brew hyphen crime hyphen podcast, where you can purchase gear like t-shirts, phone cases, stickers, pillows, and all kinds of other cool stuff. Brew Crime's intro was created by Mike using Creative Commons attribution licensed audio from purple-planet.com, soundbible.com, and freesoundeffects.com. Logo designed by Ben Greenberg. Thanks for listening to this episode of Brew Crime Podcast. In August of 1980, Carol Bundy confessed her connection to the Sunset Strip Slayer who had been terrorizing Los Angelinos all summer. In September of 2012, the cult of the Unification Church, also known as the Moonies, mourned the death of their leader, Sun Myung Moon. Tune into Murder Murder News every Friday to hear us detangle another twisted tale from true crime history. If you're an amateur sleuth who hopes to someday solve a cold case or locate a missing person, tune into Murder Murder News and start off your search with a deep dive into some fascinating and very solvable cases. We always take a victim-first stance and like to focus on crimes affecting marginalized communities, which typically don't get enough media attention. Subscribe to Murder Murder News wherever you get your podcast to make sure you never miss an episode. Hi, listeners. We have a podcast to share with you that you can go binge over 50 episodes right now. Every Thursday, we bring you a new episode filled with mysteries, conspiracies, and things that go bump in the night. I'm Holly Lowerman. And I'm Brooke Sasser. And we are the hosts of Curly Conspiracies Podcast. The name of our podcast stems from Well Our Curly Hair and the idea that conspiracies and mysteries are never straightforward. They take multiple twists, turns, have-nots, and take a while to comb through. We have some lighthearted topics such as Eminem is a clone, the Coca-Cola conspiracy, and even the Kentucky meat shower. Some more serious topics like April is Blood Sacrifice Month, the Johnny Gosh disappearance, and the Nahani Valley mystery. We also have your classics, like the conspiracies surrounding Princess Diana's death, Mothman, and the Roswell incident. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. So, go get your tinfoil hats ready and check out Curly Conspiracies Podcast. Flumax? Slumac. Slumax. Slumax. So, no time. Oh, oops. Oh, oh, I see it only. Like I said, the reader mode is weird here. (laughs) Or North Vancouver, over to what up until more recently was named. I can speak. (laughs) Take two. It's my impression (laughs) that the man is dead. Yes. This was. <laughs> I thought you were going to hit the horn. <laughs> We've all of a sudden become a morning show. <laughs>
Oh, I love this oh, show. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> we'll okay. get back to your regularly scheduled programming in a second. Oh, he looked. Um... Oh, oh, wait. Anytime, oh, yeah, you, go, so. anytime you mention Prospector, by the way, all I think of is Yosemite Sam. That's <laughs> all yeah. I can imagine. And thus the the I got nothing. You can get, cut that out. <laughs> and I say again, damn Americans. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's you, JT. It's you. <laughs> Dude, I own it. It's fine. It is what it is. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna fuck some shit up wherever we go. Yeah. Distributed. Uh, distributed. Can you sing your first song? <laughs> Why? Yes, I can. <clears throat> Sweet dreams are made of these, and anyone who says otherwise, I disagree. Don't visit the bridge within the trees. The bunny man is looking for someone. <laughs> awesome. Best blooper at the end ever. Exactly. <laughs> oh gosh, All I right, love I'm going to stop recording. 